Good morning. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning to look closely at Scripture with us and to grow as disciples of Jesus today. Our vision as a church is to live as God's children, sharing the love of Christ through study, worship, and service. And we're continuing to try to find ways to live into that vision even while we can't gather for worship. If you didn't get our newsletter in the mail this week and you'd like to receive it, please let us know so we can make sure we have the correct information for you in the future. Today we continue in 1 Peter as he turns his attention from the glorious work of God and begins to focus on what it looks like for Christians to live faithfully in the midst of suffering. He turns here from telling us about God's grace to telling us how we should live in light of what Christ has done for us. In short, he calls us to hope entirely on the grace of Jesus and to live in obedience and holiness. What he says today sets the stage for a practical turn, answering the question how Christians should live, which we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. Before we get into the sermon today, I'd like to acknowledge Mother's Day by inviting you to pray with me. Let's pray. Loving God, as a mother gives life and nourishment to her children, so you watch over your church. On this Mother's Day, we give thanks to you for the divine gift of motherhood in all its diverse forms. We pray for all mothers among us today, for the women who gave us birth, for the women who raised us and have loved us, for the women that might have fallen short of loving us fully, for those who are living and for those who have died, we give you thanks. We pray for all who hope to be mothers someday, and for those whose hope to have children has been frustrated. We pray for all mothers who've lost children through miscarriage or death. We pray for all who've mothered those who are not their biological children. We pray that you would give each of us a heart to love and nurture every child in need of a mother's love. Teach us, we pray, to love like you, our one true God and the mother of us all. Amen. We're so grateful for all of you who've been continuing to faithfully give to support our ministries. If you'd like to support the work that More Memorial is doing, you can give online at our website, morememorialumc.com slash give, M-O-O-R-E, Memorial, UMC, like unitedmethodistchurch.com slash give, or you can mail a check to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 467, Winona, Mississippi, 38967. May God bless you as you worship today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you who have called us, you who love us, you who have filled us with hope, on this Mother's Day we ask that you would speak clearly to us a word of what it means for us to be obedient children, a word of what it means for us to claim entirely the hope that you have laid before us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Speak clearly for your servants are listening. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. First Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. Hear this word. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I started my sermon by saying, real life is not on hold. And that's still true for us today, but today I want to go a little bit further with Peter. Real life is not on hold. There is work to be done. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little bit worn down by social distancing and quarantine. Maybe you're feeling lonely and isolated or bored, overwhelmed by the news, not sure of whom to trust, quick-tempered with your spouse, perpetually frustrated with your kids, worried about finances and the economy, anxious for people who you love, who are vulnerable to this illness, burdened by the demands of changing expectations at work, angry at people saying and doing dumb things, frustrated with leaders that can't seem to make up their mind about what we ought to be doing. Maybe you want to forget that you're a Christian and handle things in a little more basic way, but real life is not on hold and there is work to be done. And even if it was never going to be easy, even if we knew that suffering was a part of this world since the time of Adam and Eve, we need some guidance on how to make it through. So Peter begins this portion of his letter as he turns from the powerful work of God to what he expects the church to do. And he starts by saying, therefore, gird up your loins. The NRSV, in this case, translates it, prepare your minds for action. But that doesn't really capture what Peter is asking the church to do. Gird up the loins of your mind, he says. And in the middle of battle, we don't always have time to stop and reflect and process and care. One of the phrases that we're hearing from leaders a lot right now is that we're in the middle of the fog of war. We're trying to make decisions, but we don't have all of the information that we want. And Peter is writing to people who are in the fog of war. And so as he writes, we might think that he might might speak to people who are suffering with a little bit more compassion, a little more care. He might be a little bit more pastoral in his presentation, He's writing to people who are suffering, and he's saying, you've got to get to work. Couldn't he listen to their feelings or at least name and acknowledge the ongoing threat that they're living under? But the threat is real, and it's present, and he's got to keep them moving. So he says, therefore, girding up the loins of your mind and being clear-headed, hope entirely on Jesus Christ. When he says, gird up the loins of your mind, we might not know exactly what that means, but in the ancient world, most men wore tunics, something that would look like a dress to us. And it was good for walking around and everyday activities, but if you really had to get down for business, if you had to get ready to go to war, if you had to get ready to do hard work, if you were walking a long way, you are going to take your tunic and you're going to find a way to secure it closer to your waist to make it more like shorts than a long dress. It's as if Peter is saying, take off your jacket, roll up your sleeves, put on your work boots or your combat boots. Do you have your gloves? It's time to get down 
to business. More than just prepare your minds for action, this is a little bit more visceral and a little bit more vulnerable. He doesn't say, gird up your tunic. He doesn't say, change your dress. He says, gird up your loins, the location of strength and progeny in the ancient world. Get ready to go to work and know what's at stake as you do it. This is not going to be easy, and you need to have a clear head for this task. Be sober-minded. The NRSV translates it, uh, discipline yourselves, but literally it says, stay sober. Be sober both literally, not drunk, not incapacitated by substances, and figuratively, be thinking clearly with your wits fully about you because the work ahead is going to be tremendous. And all of this is plural, by the way. The, the, uh, the participles happening here, the, the minds that are sober, it's not a singular mind. All of you be sober-minded together, Peter says. So he moves from his beautiful description of the hope and the love that we find in God that gives us great joy and it makes us confident in the work God has been doing for a long time. And he turns to giving a motivational speech. Trying to get them through the battle, the fog of war, through their suffering, on the other side where they can receive the inheritance. And he's already laid out for them what God has done. He says, you have been called out, elected by God to be his people. He has known he's going to save you. He sanctified you by his spirit for obedience in Jesus Christ. That's how he starts the letter. He has sanctified you by the spirit. He has made you holy by the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain what he means. He says he's given you a new birth to a living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And he has birthed you to be heirs recipients of an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, ready to be revealed when Jesus himself is revealed. As he goes on, he says, his grace is present to you now, making it possible for you to rejoice, even though you're undergoing sufferings right now. You are able to know full and complete joy. Because even though gold will perish, your faith, when it's tested like gold, will never perish. It will result in glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You might not have seen him, but you have loved him. You believe in him, and you are rejoicing in him with an unspeakable joy. Even though you're suffering, because he is saving your life, your very souls, you are rejoicing with unspeakable joy joy. And he says this isn't some new thing that's just started right now. Uh, In fact, you Christians dispersed across Asia Minor who've had nothing to do with Israel for all of your history, you who are separate from one another and suffering, you are the legacy of the prophets of Israel. They were proclaiming the same message that the evangelist told you. Their work was so that you could know it has always been only about Jesus. And this news is so good that angels want to look at it. 
That's what God has done. He's given you a new birth into a living hope, an inheritance that will never fade or disappoint. This has been the plan all along, despite suffering, for you to experience sanctification and obedience by the grace of God. So it doesn't start with them. It starts with the grand work of God in the future, in the present, and in the past through the ages. Hope in the future, joy in the present, and trust because of God's history of faithfulness with God's people, always leading to the salvation offered by Jesus. This is what God has done, but what's the church to do? Peter says you've got to gird up the loins of your mind. You've got to be sober-minded, clear-headed, because the road ahead is going to be hard. Because the, the road is hard and long, there is tough mental work to do. You're going into battle and you need to be ready. So roll up your sleeves and get ready for work. Prepare yourself for the task at hand. And the task at hand, Peter says, is to hope entirely, completely, exclusively, perfectly, now and always on the grace that Jesus Christ is carrying to you when he will be revealed. There are at least two ways that Peter ties in what he says here with his, when he moves to commands to what he said before. One is that he says, therefore, when he starts. Everything he's about to say is built on what he's already offered. But there's also this phrase, the revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Set your eyes exclusively on what will come when Jesus Christ is revealed in all of his glory. Hope entirely on that. That's the hard work. Get ready for it, prepare yourself for it, and stay alert so that you can do what's ahead. You can't control your external suffering, Peter says, but you can hope entirely, completely, perfectly on Jesus. And how do you do that? How do you do that practically? And he says, obedience. Be obedient like children. Be like obedient children. Now, obedience requires you to trust that what the one who's giving you responsibilities or commands or expectations, that that person wants what's best for you, that they know what's best for you, and that they want it. Today is Mother's Day, and if Mother's universally can tell you anything, it's that we are not naturally very good at obedience. I love my mom, but when I was growing up and she would tell me to do something and I would ask why, I would want some reason for what needed to be done, I hated it when she would say, because I said so. And adults over 40, I hear them say all the time, I know that obedience is terrible in this new generation. They just don't know how to mind, and their parents don't know how to discipline them. But the truth is that kids aren't the only ones bad at obedience. All of us have somewhere in our spirit a bit of rebellion that no one is going to tell me what to do. If you don't believe me, just look around at the people who are bucking up against the various expectations that are set for us by various leaders. 
and the questions that we ask of them. When we do that, when we refuse to be obedient, at the very baseline of our rejection is the assumption that the person giving the commands either doesn't know or doesn't want what's best for us. They might want what's best but not know what that is, or they might know what's best and not want it, but whatever it is, we are convinced that what they are commanding us to do is not actually what's best for us. And so we resist it. We resist it. So obedience is not just knowing and doing the right thing. Obedience is relational and requires submission. Obedience means that we have to be comfortable taking orders. Obedience means that we have to mean it when we pray, Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Even if it's not in keeping with our own will, obedience means we have to submit to it. Obedience is hard, and obedience is relational, but obedience to God is possible if we believe what Peter has said about God beforehand. So when we confess Jesus as Lord, we're not just pledging our allegiance to Jesus, though we're doing that. We're also pledging our obedience to him, that what he asks us to do, we will do. And Peter says there's going to be temptation. There's going to be temptation to go back to the easy life, to fall into the desires and passions that used to drive your life back when you were ignorant. Now, When he says that you are ignorant before, he doesn't mean that you are ignorant to right and wrong. He means that you are ignorant of all the things that he said before. That you are ignorant of the hope and the joy available to you in Jesus Christ. Ignorant of the grace that has been poured out for you and over you. Ignorant of the inheritance that has been stored up for you in heaven. Ignorance of the new birth that Jesus has offered to you. And because of the relationship that Jesus has offered, because you're no longer ignorant of the good things that Jesus has to offer you, the good things that God has in store for you, make sure that you don't go back to the things that you used to think were good enough for you before. The things that you used to think would satisfy you, don't take the easy road. The things that you thought would save you were manifold, but none of those things are going to last. None of those things are going to satisfy you. They're all going to fade away. They're all going to diminish in their returns. They might make you feel better for a little while, but the hangover is going to be terrible. So don't fall back into those things that are empty and fading and will ultimately lead to disappointment. Because this was never going to be easy. This was always going to be work. It was always going to be hard work. Your struggles with quarantine are not a surprise. They are flowing out of the difficulty of the time that we are living in and a product of us being sinful creatures in a broken world. The work is not hard because you're earning your salvation. God has done the work beforehand. The work is hard because it is hard to trust in the goodness of God in a world where there is suffering. Don't fall back into all those other things, Peter says. 
live out your call. And your call is very specific. God is calling you to be holy. God is calling us to be holy in all of our conduct, not because he's a tyrant, not because he wants to set unreasonable expectations for us, but because he made us in his image and he wants us to be like him. He wants us to reflect his glory by being holy as even he is holy. And this is possible for us by the work of the Holy Spirit in us that is sanctifying us. It's possible for us because of the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Be holy in all your conduct. Be obedient to God. So Peter says, I have told you about how good God is, so good that angels want to look at the gospel that I have shared with you. I've told you how good God is. So now be ready to get to work. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober because it's going to be hard because real life is not on hold and there is work to be done. And that work includes you and that work includes me. All of us, every one of us, us in the plural, even if we're dispersed about, unable to get together, That work began a long time before with the prophets and continued through Jesus despite his suffering and death. And our suffering and the suffering of the church through the ages is not going to stop it either because God's grace is at work in us. And we are not ignorant anymore of the goodness of God. God is offering us hope. Hope for new birth in a living hope in Jesus who's been raised from the dead and gives us hope for the same future. Hope for an inheritance that will never disappoint or diminish. Unspeakable joy because of that living hope because God is saving our souls. Trustworthy witness because God has been at this a long time. As he gives us all of those things, Peter says, get ready for work. And that work is going to be difficult in your mind, so make sure you're clear-headed and ready to do it. It was never going to be easy, but it is going to be good, and it's going to be beautiful, and the reward is going to be eternal, and every bit of it will be worth it. Are you ready to get to work? Are you willing to be obedient? Do you desire to be holy even as God is holy, in every bit of your conduct. And if that's not how you have been through this quarantine, offer yourself again at the feet of Jesus. Trust his mercy and trust the life that he has placed in you and hold entirely, completely, perfectly to the hope that he has set before you because it is coming soon. Will you pray with me? Lord, we confess that we are not always ready to be obedient. We confess that it is easy to fall back into the desires of our ignorance, the passions that once drove us. We confess that sometimes we get weary. We don't want to prepare our minds for action. We don't want to gird up the loins of our mind and remain sober because the world is hard and it would be easier to escape it or to deny it or to live as if nothing terrible was happening. 
But we pray, Lord, that we could hope entirely on Jesus, that we could cling to the hope that we have found in him, that we would remember the power that has raised him from the dead. And in that hope, O oh Lord, we pray that you would make it possible for us to be obedient and holy. We think that this doesn't rest on our effort, but we pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the grace and the energy that we need to prepare our minds and to live in obedience to you because we love you and because we trust that what you want for us is what is best for us. That this has always been your character to prepare us for what is best. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who suffered that we might be saved. In the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, these two who reign with you as one God now and forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be here at the same time next week. If you'd like to connect with us or tell us how we can be praying for you or give to support our ministries, you can find more information on our website, www.morememorialumc.com. If you haven't liked our page on Facebook, we hope you'll do that too. It'll help you stay up to speed on what's going on. It'll help us reach more and more people with the love of Christ. Peter's call to be sober-minded and ready for action is collective. I pray that you'll keep finding ways to pursue Christ with other people and that you'll pay attention to the opportunities that we're working on to help facilitate discipleship in this time of social distancing. All scripture readings from today's broadcast come from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and are used with permission. Let's close in prayer. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.